everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio, featuring The Crew, where a former pro football player and a D3 all-star use strength and conditioning as an excuse to talk about anything but. Now here's John and Tex. Power Athlete Nation, welcome to another episode of the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Tex here, and I'm joined by Dr. Matt Zanis. Matt, what up? Thanks for having me again, buddy. Glad to be here. Well, whenever you're in town, we yeah. make it a point to wrap a little. To wrap. I'm just disappointed you brought me out to Texas when it was 80 degrees in Arizona, and it's like 20 out here in <laughs> March. That'll happen. Well, it was 80 degrees Thursday, and that's just how the world works. Definitely didn't come prepared. Okay. Well, the topic of today, we are talking pain. Shocker. I know. <laughs> People, they just have nicks and knacks, and rather than working around injuries or just not doing movements that causes pain, we need to get the, to the root cause of it. Yeah, that root cause of uh, of pain is something that we kind of don't want to go down that rabbit hole a lot of times because it's scary. <laughs> We'd rather just find that easy fix, or we just don't need to do these movements anymore and work around them, right? Yeah. It's a lot easier of an option. Well, yeah, and from a coaching perspective... Oh, we're not going to do deadlifts. Deadlifts get people hurt. That just sounds lazy. How about you learn how to teach and coach a deadlift so that you empower your athletes and don't develop holes in, in their program, in their movement, so they suck later in life? Yeah, but that's, that's way too much effort. It takes too much hard work to actually learn how to read the person in front of you and understand what's going on from a movement standpoint, right? Yes. And we have a caller. Well, I guess we got a text message in. About hip pain. This in your private DMs? It technically is from slacked from one of a block <laughs> one coaches. So you're not wrong. Yeah. You just slid right in there. However, uh, it's an excellent topic for discussion for an expert like yourself. Okay. Are you ready? Let's hear it. All right. <clears throat> I sit in a patrol car all day with a 30-pound belt around my waist and a ballistic vest. My hip flexors and lower back are always tight. When getting in and out of the car, how can I get more mobile so that I can jump out of the car and run after someone without the risk of constant pain? So a lot of takeaways here. I mean, he's sitting in the car. He's jamming himself up. I imagine that discomfort exists when he's lifting weights and training for his job. And then, I mean, constant pain, sitting down into a dead sprint. So a lot going on with this other than the fear of constant pain? Well, the fear of constant pain and then the fear of what it's going to be like when he has to actually move and exert some type of force. Like that's already going to be a, um, a detrimental factor as well. You're kind of setting yourself up for failure because we're, we're giving our brain and our body that anxiety factor, right? Which is already going to heighten your pain sensitivity mm. and lower the threshold for it, right? So it's kind of understanding, well, why do I experience this fear and anxiety around this movement? Well, we have to break down the movement and figure out the root cause of it, right? So when I hear this type of situation, you know, we work with some pretty professional, pretty efficient military professionals, right? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them actually in the Phoenix area as well, where I'm from. It comes down to the fact that these guys are in these positions for an extended period of time, right? We know the human body, the nervous system is going to adapt to the positions that it is in the most, right? Those are the ones that are it's going to favor. So whenever we try and move out of those positions that we've been in, the brain has a fear response around it. It, it kind of, it, it feels like it's not a safe movement pattern 
to get into. So we bring up the example of sitting in a patrol car. What does that typically look like? Right, we're kind of flexed through eating the low back, donuts. eating donuts. Yeah, we got this big rounded, rounded upper back. You know, our, our pelvis is kind of tucked underneath. We're leaning back in the chair, and then we go into a dead sprint, which involves a lot of openness, expansion through the upper back, through the upper chest, and mm-hmm. trying to get extension through the hip and lengthening through the hip flexors, driving through the foot. So yeah, that's that's going to be a pretty opposite end of the spectrum type of a pattern. And if we spend six hours a day sitting in the car and then have to express that at full capacity, damn, that's going to be really hard to get into when you expect. Oh yeah. All right. So when it comes from a training standpoint, what are we doing in the gym? That's the next question we have to ask. All right. So we, you know, I, I kind of, I get on my high horse about this stuff in a soapbox all the time because in the old CrossFit model, they're like, oh, we're doing constantly varied functional movement patterns. Mm, are you really? Right. We're, <laughs> you may be taking something like a back squat, which is a hip hinge, you know, uh, an anterior tilt in the pelvis, bilateral hip hinge, and that for that matter. And then we just take it to a single leg and we all of a sudden say that that's different. Well, is it really? If all the joint actions yeah. are doing the exact same thing, it's not really that different anymore. Right. So when it comes down to the pain response, yeah, you may add a, a novelty factor into there by changing up the movement pattern itself. But the joints are experiencing the same load, the same pattern distribution of force, you're going to likely, you're never going to get to the root cause of the problem because you're still taking those joints to the same ranges of motion. Okay. So for example, we have somebody sitting in a patrol car all day long, likely into a posterior tilt of the pelvis, compressed rib cage, put them in a back squat position. Do we think that that might be a right or wrong choice for them? What do you think? Well, I think <laughs> we're still, we still need to squat. However, the back squat may not be the optimal choice. Right. Why do you think that is? Uh, Let's put the bar on our back. I'm wearing my weight vest. Similar, just compression. I'm I'm diving my upper back forwards. So similar position that I'm in all day in a damn car doing nothing. Right. So what this is going to look like, we throw somebody with a heavy load on their back. It's going to compress the upper back. They're going to likely lean forward, right? Because they can't move through the hips. And depending on how they're sitting in the patrol car, if they're in that posterior tail kind of slouch, slouch back, they're likely going to go into some flexion. It's going to look like that typical like razor blade shit and dog position, right? Mm-hmm. It's not going to look pretty. Okay. Now we might be strong in that position, so they may feel good doing it, but is it contributing to the problem? Yeah. Because we're just strengthening those patterns again. Yeah. Well, what if they don't feel, and I'm using air quotes for our listeners, mm-hmm. If you don't want to watch video, check us out on Spotify or YouTube's. I'm using air quotes. What if they feel no pain while doing the back squat? Is it just reinforcing more poor mechanics? Potentially, right? Potentially for the long run, right? And this is what we this is what we know from like a compensatory mechanism standpoint. Is you can get away with a lot for a long time. Okay. So we, we ingrain these potentially poor movement patterns into our system. And actually, I'm going to retract that. I don't know necessarily that's even if you if it's even okay to label it as poor right it's just what the body knows how to move in the most efficient way at that time mm-hmm. it doesn't make it wrong it's just all that they know okay so now we get into a position where we have to express a different pattern yet we've already exceeded our capacity to tolerate that range of motion it's likely not going to be smooth right it's not going to be efficient and the brain is going to potentially make it defensive right and that's where we are going to elicit the pain now, you, you asked the question about, is it bad if they experience it, if they don't experience any pain in the, move, in the moment, right? No, not in the moment, right? The, the tissue hasn't ex- exceeded that stress level. But like I said, again, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. 
you at some point down the line, body and brain are going to have enough. Like it, it will break. And like I said, it's not that we want to fear that movement, but can we teach the brain and the body how to get into novel patterns, give it more options to work with? And let's let's pull that thread a little bit. Yep. Get into novel patterns. Now, if I am standard squatter, bilateral mover, deadlift, back squat, all that makes up my strength training program, where should I begin to explore novel patterns from your perspective? Well, let's take this from just the base level pattern standpoint, right? And sub question. Yes. Am I looking for pain, discomfort, tension, inability? What am I looking for? Well, let's, let's answer that quick first. Cause I do want to make sure we touch on everything here. And to answer that question is I would encourage people to find the patterns that they're uncomfortable in the most, right? Cause when we're uncomfortable, that means that we're learning something new and it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to search for pain, but I want you to fail. Right. And if you are failing in these positions, in these patterns, it's likely good for you. And you're already in that moment, you're teaching your nervous system something new to learn from and be able to utilize that pattern then in the future. Right. So let's take the back squat that we just talked about before. Maybe the back squat in that moment isn't necessarily the right movement pattern for them. Right. If it's going to reinforce the pattern of sitting all day, probably not the right way to go. But can we still bilateral squat? Yeah. We could front load them though. We could put them with a barbell on like a front squat position or maybe a heavy ass kettlebell or dumbbell. And it's already going to encourage now more of this upright posture, right? They're going to have to load in a different way. It's going to move the, the center of mass towards the front of the body. And then they're going to be able to express more of this upright position, the trunk to be able to pull themselves down, which is then likely going to encourage more of that anterior pelvic tilt maybe versus a posterior pelvic tilt, mm-hmm. right? So it's just about giving the brain a different stimulus to have to work from. So that's like, okay, we do want to, we want to squat, bilateral squat. Yes. But what about single leg patterns? Now we're speaking the language. Yeah, exactly. You can go unilateral. That's my favorite place to work from. Okay. But like we said before, is there potential if we put this person into a lunge pattern or into a step up, will they express the same positions that they've been in before? Well, yeah. Yeah. Right. If we put a barbell on their back, likely. Yeah. If the loading position Mm -hmm. is the same. Exactly. So now we have the opportunity to get a little creative. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So we can go into some more. I like to, to put put them into these extended variations of movement patterns. These uh, kind of these novel positions. So we take like a normal lunge and we make it longer. Right. We try to start to challenge the positions that I know that they can't get into, which is hip extension. Mm-hmm. Right. That's one of the main reasons why this dude is probably experiencing a lot of low back issues because his low back is working hard for everything that he does. Right, can't get into hip extension, can't access the powerhouse of the hips to produce force. So he's asking his low back to take up the slack. And unfortunately, that's gonna you could use that for a little while, but that's gonna once again run its course again. So how can we get that person into more of that anterior pelvic tilt to express the hip extension versus the low back? Okay, so we take a normal lunge position, for example. Let's instead of dropping straight up and down, we take the front leg and push the knee out over the toe. That's going to allow us to get into more of this elongated position and express more of the hip extension in the back. Now, what I'll have them do is lower down to the position where they feel a little bit of tightness in the front of the hip. Maybe that knee's hovering above the ground about two to three inches. And then we try to extend the knee without moving the hips. Likely going to feel a big, intense pull in the front of the back hip. We know then we are loading that position, right? And with these, with these uh, military guys, police guys, they're, they're handling a lot of stress throughout the day. So sometimes we need to combat that stress with a higher load to get the body to adapt appropriately. 
right? So this would be a, a high stress position for those hip flexors. Sounds amazing. Beautiful. It feels juicy too. Yeah. And this is something we go into in our online steer course. And then I did a TSAC presentation when they were all virtual. I think it was 2020 or 2021. 20, 20, 2020. 2020. Yeah. August 2020. Yeah. So that's on the YouTubes. Uh, but essentially explored okay we're out in austere environment all we got is limited loads cinder blocks what we use in our third monkey program essentially went into the presentation what we do for a third monkey mm -hmm. but uh, yeah you got kit you got ammo cans you got limited so where and how can we still find overload with a limited total weight mm -hmm. if we just weighed the gear we got it's not going to equal what is a beautiful heavy barbell so how do we still drive overload within the body mm -hmm. with limited equipment? And I think overload there is relative. And this is where, you know, we look at expressing different movement snacks throughout the day as being, oh, you oh. come on, you love that word. You love that phrase. This is the first time I'm hearing it and I'm, I'm laughing at the <laughs> uh, I guess simplicity here. Yeah. Explain we, to we, us what a movement snack is. Well, we, we, you know, we like to have three meals a day. But sometimes we don't have time to sit down and eat a full meal, right? So we got a snack because we're hungry, right? So this is what we can do from a movement standpoint. We don't have time for a huge training session that's going to take 30 to 60 minutes. And keep, keep in mind, though, this is like in relation uh, to this police guy, is can we break up the monotony of that position throughout the day? So we know we're stuck in this compressed rib cage. We know we're stuck in this posterior tilt. We're leaning back. Can we get into positions where we can open up the hip? Right, we're not going to make any appreciable changes in that moment, but it's going to help knock the rust off a little bit. Yeah, grease the groove. Grease the groove. Yeah, so we can get into positions that lube in the joints. Yes, absolutely. The more lube, the better. Right. So, <laughs> give us some examples of movement snacks. So, for example, like for the hips, for the hips for specifically. The hips. Yeah. So we keep let's let's keep it relative to this police guy too. So you can throw your back leg up on the hood of the car, the hood of the, the truck, and go into a little bit of a hip, hip flexor stretch in that position to be able to get the leg behind you, maybe come, in, come into a modified lunge position. We can just get out of the car and go into a lunge position to be able to get some load through the back of the hip, right? We can go into, I call it like a, a pigeon pigeon squat. You familiar with this term too, Mr. McCulfin? A pigeon squat? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like... If I'm if I put one foot on the opposite knee, exactly right. Yeah. So what what else is that known as? Waiters, squat, figure four, figure four yeah. squat. Yeah. So everybody's might be familiar with like a pigeon pose in yoga. Well, we just do it in a standing position, right? Where you can get your your ankle up over top of your knee and then start to move down to a, a squat position uh, from that pattern. And this is where you know balance might be an issue. So it's okay to hold on to something like the side view mirror of the of the car, or the vehicle that you're in. And keep that upright posture and start to get some movement through the hip as well. So those are like two of my, my go-tos because we can get the hip extension internal rotation with that modified couch stretch and then go into the hip flexion external rotation with that pigeon pose. Okay. Well, apparently on the YouTubes, it's not a waiter squat. Oh. A waiter squat, in, according to the YouTubes, is a... Enlighten me. Just... Oh, we'll hold on a front hand. rack. Okay. So single arms, front rack, the squat. Bored. <laughs> so that's constantly varying movements. See what I mean? See what I mean? Oh, I get it. Okay. Continue the joke. There's a joke there? 
No. Well, I imagine you're going to work one into this. With the lube? Maybe. Somewhere well, what? Okay. So that, that, that's a couple of examples yes. now into, I mean, step up. I, got, I have one more question after this. Mm-hmm. So give more examples of movement snacks for the lower body. Mm-hmm. And then I'll ask my next question. Okay. And, and it's important to, I think, keep in mind too, from a movement stack standpoint, it doesn't need to be long. Like 30 seconds to a couple minutes is great. Every 15, 20 minutes, every hour, whatever can fit your schedule, it's better than nothing as well, right? So one of my other favorite ones is actually go out after the feet and the ankles. Shocker, right? It's my low-key foot fetish stint for the day here. Um, so going into different uh, positions where you can maybe get the boots off, take the shoes off, right? If we can. It's find good. a safe space. Safe, find a safe space uh, and go through just some ankle marches as well. So where we drive the knees forward, out over the toes. Get some load through the Achilles there as well, back of the calf, and then start pushing to the big toe to lift the heel up off the ground, alternating back and forth. Going to get some pumping through the ankles and then take the feet and the ankles out of those rigid foot prisons that we call boots, right? Mm-hmm. And help them to be able to express more mobility through the feet, which are actually the key components of the hips anyway, right? The hip, feet and hips are like intimately connected. And if we can't have strong mobile feet, we're going to have very weak immobile hips. Okay. Give us a quick one minute on why the feet and hips are connected. I've oh, seen you, you, you have know. a whole course. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, so if you do want to dive deeper, we do have a foot course on that, that that goes into great detail on the intricacies of the foot and the ankle and how it actually does improve hip function as well. But the best way to kind of describe this is that the, the feet create the torque out of the hips. Mm. Okay. So they will drive the rotational capacity of the hips. So if you think about this, if the foot cannot pronate, we can't lower to the ground, we can't get any internal rotation, which means you can't get any rotation that turns inward on the hips, right? Versus if the foot can't lift up, can't create supination, foot, the hip is very hard time getting any external rotation or rotating outwards. So once again, thinking about it being very difficult to get into the bottom of the squat that way. And here's the picture that you see if you know your feet aren't working, right? We get down to about 90 degree position on the hips. We can't go any farther. Trunk collapses forward. We take up all of our hip flexion range of motion because we don't have the capacity in the hips to create rotation to clear the hip sockets out. You're never going to do enough stretching to improve that position if you don't attack the feet. Hmm. Which I imagine is a lot of, a lot of people. police out see, there. It's the biggest thing that I see all on the social media platforms. Now, do you see them not knowing what they're doing? So people going into that, and then you're like, dude, fix your feet. Oh, all the time. Yeah. No, all the time. Um, it's an awareness factor again, right? So one of the biggest things that I could do is just bring an awareness to it. And if, if the only thing that you do is start playing around with maybe moving around barefoot in the gym, squatting barefoot, you're going to feel it, right? You can look down and see, are your feet moving? Or are they staying like rigid pillars, right? Remember, I need them to be flexible. I also need them to be stiff, but not rigid. Okay. So... We've talked about some movement snacks and sticking with the the hip focus and mixing it up in terms of your loading position. So we're still wanting you to squat, step, and lunge, but mix in different loading positions within the the, the program you're following there. But like accessory work for it. Mm. So what what more strengthening rather than just squat, step, and lunge overload? What more tools within our accessory work can we utilize 
to really attack hip pain if I got it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I like to think about the squat, step, and lunge is kind of like that meat and potatoes for the program. Like that's our main focus from a strength standpoint, patterning standpoint. But the beginning and the end is where we're going to attack some of this accessory work, right? In the beginning, I like to put a lot of that dynamic movement prep in there so we can start to think iron flex, being able to explore these ranges of motion, see where I'm at for the day, use it as a way to prep the body and notice where the limiting factors may be. And then use that then to drive our accessory work. What are the things that we need to work on? And then we can tailor a little bit of a circuit towards the end to be able to attack those limiting factors, right? So we know that the hips, we need the feet and the ankles to be able to work well. So we have to go after foot and ankle mobility, foot and ankle strength, and then lead that into expressing into the full movement patterns of the hips as well, okay? So for this, for this example here, you know, if we're doing squat, step, lunge, whatever, for our meat and potatoes portion, as an accessory piece, maybe you can work on those extended lunge positions, throw some load onto that, right? We can go into different positions where we're going, like I think like caustic squat, lateral squat, get some frontal plane movement, rotational plane. You know, one of my favorites, I actually just did them this morning, curtsy lunges, right? Deep, deep range of motion curtsy lunges, have our feet elevated on the top of a couple 45 pound bumper plates, throw that back leg behind us, think about swinging it behind the, the back of the body, dropping the knee down towards the ground and working toward, through uh, an upright trunk posture as we sink deeper into more hip flexion. But this is the key, right? You have to be able to then control that rotational plane, which is where that torque is generated. So if you notice like your knee drifting outward or inward, we know that we're losing capacity with external rotation, internal rotation. We're trying to get adduction, abduction in the frontal plane. So we have to get more of that groundedness, that connectedness through the feet to be able to create that rotation to keep the knee over the instep of the toe. Okay. And that's kind of rooted down through that tripod foot that we talk about all the time, big toe knuckle, fifth toe knuckle, inside portion of the heel. As long as we can kind of maintain that triangle, it's kind of like the truss of a roof of a house, right? It's a very strong, stable structure. And if we can maintain those three points, we know we're going to have good function through the hip. And here's a spoiler alert. You're likely not going to be able to move through a lot of range of motion in the beginning once you start getting awareness over this stuff. Because you have to teach your brain how to use it, especially if it's been 30, 40 years. That's a lot of shit you have to work through. Yeah. And trust me when I say this, if you have been lifting weights for some time, you've already fought this battle mm-hmm. there, especially if you previous exploring the sport of fitness, there's a moment in time, everybody reaches 225 pounds and they're clean and then they stop getting stronger mm-hmm. because they're te- they're strong enough where they don't have to learn technique. And then they suck ass and they keep on trying. Oh, 225. I can't, I can't. Well, here's the opportunity if you take one step backwards and master your technique on said movement, said lift, then you're going to blow 225 out of the water. So if we're exploring more corners, yes, those dark zones, dark zones, (laughs) then we have the opportunity to increase your ability to execute these, which we can add more weight, we can add more reps, we can add more stress. And then I assure you the meat and potatoes will... Well, and, Be much and, and that's my biggest problem. You see this a lot um, in the PT world, at least from, from my viewpoint and my perspective with things, is a lot of PTs like to focus on just the tissue quality side of things when it comes to back pain or hip pain. And we just need to deadlift more, more weight, throw more on the barbell, squat more. And that will improve the tissue quality to an extent, but it's a fucking cop out because right? I don't have to think. Right? I don't have to think about, well, what, what do they need more of? What areas can't they move into? Is the foot working the way it should be with the hip? 
Well, right? yeah. does deadlifts fix back, fix back pain, don't they? Well, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe to some extent, but it, there's another side of the coin, motor control, mm-hmm. right? Are we actually teaching the body a new way to move? And no, no, it's either dumb down your program or coach it up. We are challenging them to coach it up, mm-hmm. which a lot of folks, eh, it's too much work. Mm-hmm. And that's where the novelty factor comes in, right? People hit these plateaus. Pain is the number one reason why people hit plateaus as well. It's going to stop you from training and get frustrated and get pissed off. And you're going to stop training, maybe do something different, just give up altogether. Right? And then a whole psychosocial component with that as well uh, versus taking a step back, looking at the body holistically, gaining more you know, conscious awareness of what's going on in the body. Maybe you have a coach who can see these things and help you work past your biases. And now we can introduce novel stimuli into the system, new movement patterns that break up the monotony. There is nothing better to reduce pain than just doing something different. Like if you've been back squatting and deadlifting for the past 30 years, maybe you should throw something in there like a curtsy lunge and not do some back squats for a time period. It's going to be a healthy input. It's like medicine to your nervous system. And in that novelty factor, is enough to help break the vicious cycle of the pain recycle, the pain response cycle. And then you can start to reintroduce these patterns. And we see this all the time, Tex, that people will get frustrated. They'll, they'll plateau to a certain weight with maybe a squat or a deadlift. And they're like, I give up. I've been doing all the accessory work. I've been doing all the different chains and bands and post-activation potentiation or cat training and everything. And I just can't get any stronger. Or maybe pain is starting to limit me. Well, let's just introduce something new. Let's figure out what you're not doing. Maybe take a a four to six month hiatus off of this strength program. And then you come back and you know what happens? After no no training load, no no progressive overload, they're already squatting or deadlifting more than they were six months ago right off the bat. Nervous system's fresh. It now has new ranges of motion it can work through. Like we stimulated more muscle fiber. They begin a little bit more hypertrophy in these muscles, more motor unit potential. And you have a lot more to work with now. More options. Yeah, this is why I enjoy sports and seasons because it just works <laughs> its way in. Does it though sometimes? Well, with the athletes I'm working with. The, <laughs> but dudes like cops that, I mean, they are training for their profession. Mm-hmm. The challenge is they always got to be on it. Always. Always. So what can we do then with our training to make sure that when we do have to go on, that we can be, be able to perform at our best potential without that fear of pain response? Just instead of donuts, movement snacks. Movement snacks is the way to go. Yes. All righty. Well, well, we'll throw some examples up of some movement snacks into the show notes. Absolutely. And probably the best dish that you can for movement snacks is going to be our Iron Flex. Bolting that on or just have it as a separate movement therapy program throughout mm-hmm. your day. Uh, but yeah, pain is telling you something. And it could be that you need to mix things up. And that's another episode of the premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Thanks for joining us, Dr. Matt Zanis. Always if people want to explore your dark zones, where do they go? Ooh, you can go deep into my dark zones on the social media at Rooted in Movement. And movement is an acronym. That's just M-V-M-N-T. What's it stand for? Movement, vitality, mindset, nutrition, and training. Looking at that whole body holistically, my friends. Oh, that's- is my friends in your tagline? Sure is. Huh. Everybody's my friend. Such a likable guy, don't you know that? Seriously. <laughs> I don't know why there's certain individuals that hate you. Can't, yeah, figure, can't it out. figure it out either. All right, dude. Peace. Bye.
Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Head to PowerAthleteHQ.com backslash training to choose from a number of programs to meet your specific performance goals. And if you like to break a mental sweat too, visit academy.powerathletehq.com and become a real stakeholder in you or your athlete's success. Until next time, bye!